1: Cricket history is full of heroes in two categories. Superstars of the game, the predictable heroes, and those who creep up on us, the unlikely ones. As this Ashes tour of 86-87 moves to Perth, for the second test, it's time to meet a couple in that second category.
0: My name is uh, Chris Broad, and I was selected as an opening batsman, a left-handed opening batsman for Nottinghamshire with what some people describe as an awkward looking stance, but it felt comfortable for me.
2: My name is Jack Richards. I was wicketkeeper batsman, carrying the drinks, keeping everybody happy. (laughs) i would basically given up. Uh, I'd started studies to become an optician. I came from Cornwall and left Cornwall at an early age to join Surrey. And I'd never really finished my schooling. I started my A-levels, but only had a a, a wad of O-levels. Bob Taylor did all the test matches, and I did a few one-day games. So I'd been on that fringe all the time, and I still thought I was still playing well. And I didn't really get any discussion. Nobody came to talk to me. I thought, well, that's it. Let's work on my future outside of cricket. So when I went to Australia, I had half of my uh, gear was actually still study books after talking to my wife. I said, look, I have to give it up. I have to just go and enjoy myself. So really, my aspirations are gone. We're focusing on studies to become an optician.
0: When I was left out in 84, I was hugely disappointed because we'd played West Indies and my last test innings was against Sri Lanka, where I'd got 86 at Lord's. For the next couple of summers, I was still, or 18 months, I was left out in the cold. But there was always, at the end of an English summer, there was discussion in the dressing room as to who might be picked and who might not be picked. And no one really saw that Graham Gooch wasn't going to go on the tour. I saw Graham, obviously, as a terrific opening batsman but to be selected on the tour I was pretty selfishly I suppose thinking what a fantastic opportunity this is for me to get back into the England team and and score some runs. It gave me that chance.
2: At the end of the day it gave me an opportunity to possibly play Test match cricket. Coming from a lowly guy in Cornwall from out way out west I knew I could compete. The only thing is if I would get the chance to make runs or the chance to, to show my ability, because in my previous tour I showed my ability once and I was parked on the sideways so for them to let the, the main keeper make sure I didn't get another opportunity because I was pretty determined, although there's absolutely no way I expected it to turn out as it did turn out.
1: Now that's an understatement. Jack Richards and Chris Broad, about to play one of the matches of their lives, will pick up their stories in just a minute. After England's shambolic first month of the tour, they arrive in Perth buoyed by their emphatic first test triumph, and those inside the tour had spotted a change in the culture, a change in attitude.
3: I was an observer on the sidelines and it's interesting to see what happens to winning teams and losing teams. Author Frances Edmonds, her husband, England spinner Phil there are all sorts of reasons why you're losing i mean if there are unplayable balls on unplayable pitches from unbelievably great fast bowlers that's one thing the fact that nobody's turning up on time to the team meeting or everybody's missing the bus or nobody can be bothered to go to the practice nets that's another and my observation the difference between the two teams effectively the same group of men was that in the west indies because people get disheartened and demotivated, then kind of the concept of discipline and responsibility goes by the wayside. So what started to happen in Australia was it was a disgrace to be late for the team bus. It was a disgrace to be late for nets. It was a disgrace to turn up late for a team meeting. uh, It was a disgrace to bowl wide. It was a disgrace to miss a catch. It was a disgrace to give your wicket away cheaply. Everything started to gel. What makes those things happen? If one could identify that and bottle it, you have actually got the secret of success in a bottle
4: so they allowed very sensibly i would say leeway to the likes of myself both and the other senior players i'm david Gower. to be themselves and they gave the people making their first visit to australia on an ashes tour every help they wanted so there was this mix and match management which evolved through the course of that tour and if mike gatting looks back at that tour he will say that was probably the most sensible thing he did
5: My name's Mike Gatting. I was uh, very fortunate to be captain of the uh, Ashes series in 1986-7. Seven, seven, seven. One of the things that I always vowed that if I got in charge as captain of England, I'd make sure that all the youngsters felt they were part of the team, because I know I remember my first trip in 78, in I just felt sort of out on the edge and not part of the team. What they realised through
4: that first month was that actually you cannot have, and this is one of my great beliefs anyway, you cannot have a sort of one-size-fits-all management of an England cricket team anywhere in the world, let alone Australia.
5: And so I was very aware that this was going to be a hell of a long trip, four and a half months, and we couldn't lose anybody on the way through. Because I did say to them, I said, I want you three to stay well away from the youngsters. Don't take them out drinking and make sure that, uh, you know, if you're going to do something, just stay out of the press. All very well, but this was England on tour
1: and the U3 he mentions, Alan Lamb, David Gower and Ian Beefy Botham, famously liked a tour. Boy, they liked a tour.
5: I had a chat with Beefy and said, look mate, for the first month, what I'd like you to do is when we're netting is to look after the youngsters in the nets, have a chat with them, talk to them about the Ashes, do your own practice, be seen to be doing what you have to And I said, after that? I said, you tell me when you're on a plane before the test matches or not at all, and we'll go from there. And he looked at me and went, are you serious? I said, yeah. He said, well, nobody's ever said that to me before. And I said, really? I said, OK, well, fine. Well, I've done it. So are you happy with that? He said, mate. He said, that's just fantastic. You have
4: to trust responsible professional players to know what they need. If you'd said to me, right, you're not having a great time. We'd like you to have a two-hour net. I would have probably gotten the plane and gone home. It wasn't my way of coping with that particular problem. You know, the various things that were done for individuals to prepare them and keep them going through the tour were the things that worked.
1: So with Gower and Botham side and one test match already in the bag, things were going well for captain Mike Gatting. Time to implement what we're calling his rooming master plan with young Philip Daffy de Freitas.
6: Philip De Freitas, uh, ex-England cricketer, Leicestershire Academy coach. In 1986, I was on the Ashes tour in Australia. In Australia, in Australia, in
5: Australia, in Australia. We put Daffy with Beefy
6: uh, in his first rooming scenario. I didn't know, I didn't know I was rooming with Ian Botham. I wasn't told, that was, I wasn't pre warned <laughs> We wanted the the young guys to make their own sort of
5: judgments when they were, say, for example, like Daffy, who played in the first Test match, you know, to try and give him the
6: ability to be in control. I think it was when Ian showed me the keys and said to me, you're sharing a room with me. And I thought, oh, my God. (laughs) Wow, my hero, I'm sharing a room, but I was so nervous. I said to him, I said, look, Beefy's going to come in one night and he's going to put a bottle down he's going to say
5: drink and you can turn around and tell Beefy that Gat has told me that if I have a drink with you um, I shan't be playing much cricket this tour and to be fair Beefy came in poured a couple of large scotches one each, and said you're having a drink with me and Daffy turned around and said no my captain said I can't otherwise I might not play much cricket this trip so we said oh really did he (laughs) put both of them on on the top went to sleep and they were there in the morning
6: Well, well it actually happened I think it was the first night the first night where You know, he's gone out with, you know, his agent. You know, they've gone for a meal somewhere. And I've fallen asleep. I'm jet-lagged. I've fallen asleep. And then suddenly, just bang, you know, the doors open, and the lights are on. (laughs) A bottle of whiskey, two glasses. He's poured... And he just goes, you're on tour with me now. Come on, drink out. And I'm like, What? (laughs) Uh, and I remember the, the thing that saved me was I must have just, you know, I was so jet lagged and tired. I was just, just crashed back up, you know, and I think he allowed me to go to sleep. And I remember waking up in that morning, if you know, I remember rightly, I woke up in that morning and those two glasses of whiskey and the whiskey was still there. So I survived by not drinking.
5: <laughs> it was quite a, an interesting, you know, story. And the fact that Daffy was strong enough to do that and Beefy. I suppose, appreciated my thoughts on, you know, what, what was asked. So it was, a, again, a nice sort of story that sort of led into the sort of, what I'd say, the beginning of a, a good, strong team.
1: Over in the other camp, rooming arrangements are the least of Australia's worries. Strong team? Don't think so. Selected for the second test was Jeff Lawson. A test match too late.
7: Coming back from the nets at the Gabba on about day three I jumped over the dog track and the greyhound racing track was around the Gabba had a a fence which was about thigh high which you had to climb over to go to the nets I went over on my ankle it turned out it it was broken I mean I had a crack in it I have a photo of a a grapefruit sized swelling on my right ankle so I didn't do anything for the rest of that test match Uh, I hobbled over to Perth they said you're playing the test so what are you going to do you're not going to back out of the test match, particularly as we'd lost the first one. So these days you just don't do that because A, you want to get paid. That's that's a big thing. You know, so you won't get paid otherwise and, and you wanted to play the an Ashes test match. But really physically would you know not only was the back terrible but my ankle it turned out when I had it X-rayed later that it actually had a crack right through the right side of it.
1: After errors in Brisbane, Captain Alan Border was under even more scrutiny. The job perhaps he never really wanted hanging by a thread.
8: I really felt the pressures of that, you know, that I I had to perform out in the middle, you know, to sort of uh, assert my uh, captaincy authority, if you like, and uh, that was one way of doing it, you know, lead by example type scenario. But, um, yeah, for a couple of years there, I I was a bit negative uh, mindset going into these games, and, um, yeah, so my my leadership was basically lead from the front and and score as many runs as I could, so that's basically what I tried to do.
7: Yeah, and i his demeanour doesn't change much. It goes from, you know, a bit grumpy to grumpy to grumpy You know, that, it, it didn't change much in those days. He, he had his mind on the job. He knew he had to make runs. He didn't make runs in the first test, but but he made up with a few more innings later in the series. But that's that's how he played. And captain, he he led from the front. My job is to make runs. I'll go and do it. It, it, it was pretty
8: straightforward stuff. Yeah, like it, it's hard to be, yeah you know, chipper, you know, when you've just got your... Yeah, backside handed to you, like in a, in another Test match loss, and you get the you know the usual question, you're like, well, how does it feel, Alan? And you say something like, well, how the f do you think it feels? All of a sudden, you become captain grumpy for some unknown reason. Th- thankfully, I've mellowed since those days, but it was it took a while to for the grumpiness to disappear.
1: border needs cheering up. A result, well, just runs will do. They'll come in this second test. But will they be enough? It's the 28th of November, 1986, Perth the wacker.
7: Well the great thing about the wacker is it's got stands facing in all different angles and directions and not a lot of cover for the punters who are baking out at square leg and out of cover on the little grass banks there. It's got a fabulous old scoreboard which is usually done in the colours of the teams that are playing. So Australia there all their numbers are green and gold. England would be red, white and blue or white and blue whatever. Big manual scoreboard not electronic one. It's a real feature. So yeah look it's a unique
1: place. England pick an unchanged side from Brisbane, opener Chris Broad bats all day, all day long.
0: I just go out there and play. Uh, I'm... <laughs> Perth was an outstanding pitch and it really, you know, put the Aussies on the back foot when we put on over 200 for the first wicket. You know, the outfield was exceptionally quick. It's like an upturned saucer where you get the ball past the infield and there's no way that the infield are going to catch the ball before it reaches the boundary. So for me, someone who liked to time the ball, it was just an absolute joy.
7: Well, I think we figured out pretty early he didn't have many weaknesses, Slips and gullies on Australian wickets to left handers are usually very, very useful because just that extra bounce will take the ball across the lefty. And he, he wasn't nicking those. He was leaving a lot of good length balls. And when he wasn't leaving, he was using the middle of the bat and he hit most of them. So if someone's driving well and hooking and pulling well, you haven't got too many options left. For Chris Broad, this tour was an extraordinary thing. He
4: started well, never played a full shot, it seemed. And he just loved the way runs flowed, and it seemed to suit him. So once you get in at Perth, you go big. Border knows that, Chris knew that, and he was in the form of his life, so you you just make
1: the most of it. Broad is 146 not out by the close of day one. Not a bad day's work. With special supporters in the crowd? Yeah,
0: my mother and father were there as well, which was nice. Um, I suppose everyone knows me as Stuart's father because I played test cricket. They probably didn't know my mother and father unless they were with a group of people in the stands and uh, you know were proudly saying that that's my son out there. But they wouldn't have necessarily had the adulation that that I would have got for Stuart doing so well, but they were still extremely proud of uh, of being in the ground and uh, you know watching me score my first test century and sticking it to the Aussies, which is always a good thing from an Englishman's point of view.
1: Ouch. And the Aussies were feeling that pain all over Perth that night. How's it come to this? We're going to follow on again. And how the hell's Jeff Lawson broken his ankle? In
7: hindsight, about 10 minutes after the game started, uh, you know, what am I doing here playing? I could hardly walk. My right foot, just to try to get off my weight off the back foot through my bowling action was, every, every time was painful, even though I had it strapped up and had painkillers. It was, yeah. This was shocking.
1: This was shocking. This was... The Australians, led by Alan Border, knew the series was rapidly slipping away.
8: I had some intel, if if you like, about uh, Brody, but nothing quite like he produced in that in that series. I mean, really important runs from him um, at the top of the order, and he just had had all the answers uh, on our surfaces. He batted so well when we bowled badly. He took full toll. It was uh, yeah.
1: Border will play his part in this high scoring match, but on day two, it's still England in control. Broad makes 162, a mention for Bill Athey, who falls just short of 100, with 96. David Gower's form comes good, a brilliant 136. And then, remarkably, England find a third centurion, the wicketkeeper from Cornwall, making just his second test match appearance.
2: My mindset was quite simple. I've had a catch, I've had a stumping, I just have to score a run. Don't I've actually competed at test level.
1: This is Jack Richards, Surrey in England, green gloves, floppy hat, a spectator for more than a day. England in charge, but Ian Botham out for a duck, a major blow.
2: People batting behind Ian Botham that sometimes don't have it easy if he's the one that gets out. Because once they've got Beefy out, that's game of match, they over you like a rash. And you look how many times I had to replace Beefy in that series. <laughs> so you are suddenly in your mind thinking, Hang on, we've done quite well, and then it's gone, gone, gone. Suddenly you're back in to something where, hang on, we have to do something here.
1: And for me, this is where the Jack Richards story gets really interesting. Because here you've got this Cornishman who's left his home county to pursue his dream in London, playing for Surrey of playing for England, and now is coming out straight after Ian Botham. I think we sort of project us, the punters, a 2D image. Well, they're wearing an England jumper, an England cap. They're an international cricketer. That they'll be able to cope with it. But actually, elite sportsmen are just the same as us. They are full of frailties and insecurities and worries, particularly at the start of their test career. And here's Jack Richards, who knows he's been picked for his batting, going out to bat, having made naught in the first test, and probably thinking, am I actually good enough to be here?
2: You go through your motions, you do everything you've done as a county player, but now it's sort of, my hands didn't necessarily do what I wanted them to do. <laughs> my feet didn't do exactly what I wanted them to do, and certainly my back didn't. So in that respect, it was, uh, I don't think is the Englishness within us, but you've basically achieved what you've always wanted to achieve, and yet you can't really enjoy it because there's so many things going on in, in between your, your ears. And, of course, you have cut them off, and because of this fear of failure, you know, you kick yourself for basically succeeding with your fears, which haunted me a little bit throughout my whole career.
1: Succeeding with your fears. Succeeding with your fears. It's a secret Jack Richards carries to the middle of the wacker. Despite a brilliant wicker-keeping performance, he made a duck in Brisbane He'd been picked ahead of Bruce French for his extra batting ability and he'd made naught the fear of failure. Gower had to help him through.
4: Perth for me, the Wacker for me, was a good place. It'd be an exaggeration to say a second home, but I, you know, I quite like Perth. You know, I had a great time there for four months, made a stack of runs, so I sort of felt as though playing cricket in WA was my sort of place and Jack Richards uh, Jack Richards also got 100 down the order so it really was a pitch to make runs on especially if you're seeking a bit of um, self-validation again you know, if you're looking for runs that was a good place to bat
2: fortunately David Garrett being out there being nice and relaxed and me being ultra tense and wanting to do well so my first words I think to him was no matter what you do you've got to get me off the mark got that off the mark and then believe it or not I had a f- Funny feeling that I'd got out in County cricket a lot of time in 13. So then I set myself, I've got to get past 13. So I got past 13 and just continued on my laborious route of monotony, going through the same things at the end of the over, trying to say the same things because it's working well for me. So I said, well, what do you, what can we talk about then? He <laughs> said, well, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, let's talk about wine. So... So sometimes in between overs, you know, there might be the idea, what do you reckon is a better one, this or this one? Crazy, unbelievable, but it got me through, you get in the zone, nothing's going to stop me, plough on, on. plough on. And on,
1: and on, and on. More than 200 they add for the sixth wicket as Richards moves to the verge of his maiden test century, the verge of his fears succeeding again, that fear... Of failure.
2: So I've got a weakness. So my weakness all through my career is gully. So the thing you're going through your 80s, not through gully, straight play straight, not through gully, play straight, play straight. So it's just short of a length on the up. And what do I do, front foot off the front foot on the up through gully. <laughs> but fortunately, I placed it quite well and it went out. So. But it just goes to show, no matter what, you in the heat of the moment, you can try to force yourself, and maybe that's the difference between the really great players and us. I could not stop myself doing anything that was natural. When it was there, I wanted to hit it. It's relief. If you look at the, one of the few photographs I've got, now you can see that's euphoric. It's not euphoric, it's done my job, got there, done it, let's get on.
1: Australia are being pummeled again. Three centuries in the Test match and all to the opposition. They haven't even had a bat yet. Their reply will be critical. This could be the series right here. Step forward captain, Alan Border.
4: Alan Border was, is one of the world's great players. Not the prettiest to watch, but mighty effective, hugely competitive, and very proud as an Australian, as an Australian batsman, and just as proud as an Australian captain. We kind of grew up together in many ways in opposition, but having seen how good he could be, then yes, any team meeting as a preparation for an England versus Australia test match in that era would involve, well, how do we get AB out? But you end up recognising the fact that this is a very, very good player indeed, and that if he has a good day, he'll be
8: very hard to get out and he will make runs. Well, I I always felt that, um, you know, as we went into that game, you know, you you start off nice and positive about your chances. Then all of a sudden you find yourself, if we don't pass this follow on, we're in serious strife because, um, you know, England would have the the high ground. Probably why, you know, you're sort of carrying like you're almost winning the game, but you're actually just trying to save it. and And that's exactly the feeling. Like, okay, we've saved the game. So we're still in the in the hunt, you know, one nil down, three to go type thing. That's how it felt
1: border makes 125 it's a classic classy crucial response from an all-time great chris broad and his england teammates can only stand and applaud
0: well i mean he was a fantastic player and i know how delighted he was to avoid the follow-on because you know he followed on in the first test match and obviously to follow on again in the second test match would have been Uh, hugely disappointing for him on home soil. So he was... He was the one person really that stood between us and uh, and a victory in that particular match.
7: Oh oh yeah, oh yeah, very very important. He led he was a captain by example and the example is you make runs. When you get a hundred in a test match when you're down the series that, that's very very important. It establishes his credibility as the captain and it also sets an example to the rest of the players. So it, it's got a lot of follow-on effects when when the captain makes a hundred, particularly when you've been struggling Porter was the man to to glue it all together in the middle and make the big scores so we could get scores to compete.
1: It's funny to think that a total of 401, still almost 200 behind on first innings, was enough to save a test match. But England effectively batted not to lose from there. Mike Gatting admits as much. The match ends drawn. From Western to Southern Australia, Here we go again. Another plane to catch. This magical mystery tour continues from Perth to Adelaide.
0: You know, the fact that we were doing well, having won the first test match, got a winning draw, if you like, in the second test match. We were all very confident that things were going to go well, although, you know, obviously we lost Beefy in the third test match due to to injury, but it didn't seem to affect us as players, or certainly I didn't get that impression from the other players, that we'd lost a, a linchpin, if you like, to us succeeding. And we went out there and, and played as we would in the, other, the previous two Test matches.
1: Botham's absence means a debut for James Whitaker, an extra work for the bowlers. Australia change wicket keepers, a debut for Greg Dyer, replacing the king of the heckle, Tim Zura. Tim? Zura. Now there's a name to conjure with. Francis Edmonds.
3: He gave it all the chat. You know, I mean, Australians are good at giving it all the chat. You know, all the all the sledging and all the chat. So Phil and himself were always having like little sort of digs at one another. So here we go. There was a young glove man, for people who don't know that, that's a wicket keeper. There was a young glove man named Zura, whose keeping got poorer and poorer. Said AB, that was Alan Border, the Australian ca- captain, said AB from first slip, please stop giving such lip and with extras, stop troubling the scorer.
1: <laughs> anyway, back to the cricket. Bat dominated once more at Adelaide. Centuries for David Boone, Mike Gatting, and again for Chris Broad and Alan Border. There's a pattern here. Is Broad enjoying this exalted company?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I never really looked at it in those terms. I never compared myself with Alan Border at all. You know, even though the styles are somewhat similar, I would never look and say to myself, you know, I'm on the same level as him. It would have been nice to have played hundred odd test matches.
1: Two draws in a row. England still one up in the series, not the greatest test match if we're really going to be honest, Heads skirting around it with limericks. And what's all this about the rest day Francis?
3: Adelaide is a fantastic city, the city of churches, but also the centre of wine growing, wonderful Barossa Valley. And there's a tradition that uh, the rest day was an open invitation by one of the local wine growers to his fantastic vineyard, where a barbecue would be put on, unlimited wine for both teams, Australia and England, and all their respective significant others and all the rest of it. Off we went, charabanc from the hotel. We get there and certainly the wheels fell off fairly quickly. There was a lot of people being thrown into the swimming pool whether they wanted to go in or not and it was certainly a very very good day out i mean the generosity and the hospitality you get as a touring team is really quite extraordinary i mean carnage yeah carnage all around carnage that was the rest day <laughs> you
8: yeah, think about rest days now it was, uh, it was like a godsend you play three days of cricket have a, have a day off and then come back and finish for the last two it was, it was brilliant Traditionally, we got on very well, uh, Australia-England, even though we'd sort of resume the next day trying to beat the hell out of each other. Final word on this episode to Jack Richards,
1: that Cornish pirate behind the stumps, living the ashes dream, living these days in Belgium of all places. Fear of failure he's talked about. Five of his eight test caps came in this series. The challenges, the fears of international sport ultimately stumped him. He retired from cricket at the age of only 30. I
2: had a lot of pride in what I've done, but I couldn't quite cope with the ups and downs, the anxieties, the, the waiting for selection, the way they handled the selection, and the way they handled things in those days where I felt unprofessional and it affected me. You know, unfortunately, I got dropped for the Nestex match, at uh, which was Old Trafford, which also had a traffic lights in Rotterdam. When I heard on the news, I've been dropped. So I do have a lot of great thoughts, a lot of great memories. One thing that is unique is that when I went to Cornwall and um, was down with the Cornish Pirates, a lot of people came out so they can remember the exact time where they were when I scored that 100. So I'm just pleased. I mostly hope I did the Cornish folk a bit of pride by being a Cornishman and doing well for England. I'm known more as an Ashes winner than an English Test cricketer, which puts into perspective how the Ashes has developed itself.
1: The tour is heading for Christmas. Heading for Melbourne heading for Elton.
6: People were going to work and the party was still going. Elton was there as well, Elton John. It's just surreal. So we had EJ the DJ.
3: Everywhere we went, there was a party given by Elton.
6: This is Elton John.
1: Inside the Tour, The Ashes is presented by Mark Pugach, original music and sound design by Lee Sperry, additional music, Dan Compton, produced by Jonathan Overend at 94.19 for Audi.